Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Thank you for joining us at Revive the Drive. I'm here with Pastor Art and Pastor Daniel, and we're talking about the Ten Commandments today, and we're going to be looking at the first two commandments, maybe just to read them to us uh, together. Uh, The Lord God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments." So there are two, uh, the first two commandments are given to us. In summary, you shall have no other gods before me, and uh, you shall make no likeness, no graven likeness uh, image uh, to use in, in worship. So we want to ask the questions, well, what do these two commandments mean? Let's just take the first commandment uh, now. Uh, what does it mean when God says, you shall have no other gods before me? And then we want to talk about some practical applications to our life today. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the fallen condition, or perhaps uh, defining the fallen condition, is that uh, fallen man just naturally creates other gods to worship. Um, you, you think about uh, what happened not only in the garden, but after the flood. Eight people got off the ark, uh, knowing the true and living God who had just judged the world by the flood. And then within several chapters, we have uh, humanity, again, worshiping other gods or wor- worshiping uh, as, as false idolaters. And so um, God is indicating to us that he alone is the God who is responsible for us, who's created us, who deserves our blessing and our, our, our praise, and he does not want our worship uh, divided. So much of... What God does in our lives is designed to is designed to help us. I think realize this truth that He is of ultimate value. So, suffering comes into our life to cause us ultimately to realize He's my ultimate value. The terms of discipleship call us to recognize His ultimate value. Uh, tragedy enters our life to cause us to recognize His ultimate value. And so, the Ten Commandments begin here with what must be the recognition that every person who's going to worship God rightly comes to, that there is no object or idea or emotion or person that can take a, a greater a place in our life than than God because he is of ultimate, infinite value. Mm. You know, I really appreciate the Westminster Catechism's statement about what is the chief end of man. Mm. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And it kind of connects to what you were saying there of, of God being the chief value. And so that is our chief purpose in life. That's the very reason for which we exist. The reason for which God created us is to glorify him and to enjoy him. 
So uh, that term glorify God, it's sort of a bit nebulous. I think uh, for for most of my life, I think when I thought of that term, it wasn't very concrete. It sounded a bit mystical. It sounded great. Um, But uh, let's talk briefly maybe about what does it mean to glorify God, because I think that connects so much to these first two commandments. As we look at those two commandments, in essence, God is saying, I care who or what you worship. And secondly, I care how you worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so what does it mean to glorify God? That word in the Hebrew, uh, glory, is, um, ha- has a connotation of weightiness. In fact, it's uh, the same word group that's used of Eli when he fell and broke his neck because it says he was heavy. It's derived from that same word that we're told uh, – that we would give God glory. So if you sort of translate that into what it means to give God glory, it means to show that God is weighty in our lives. He is weighty. He is the most weighty uh, person in our lives. And so therefore, we live in a way that shows that we give him the weight of our energy, our efforts, our worship. Mm. Yeah, I think that's good. It's it's, it's um, the means by which we display his worth, yeah. uh, proclaim it. We're making him look good above yeah. all other things as we and, glorify him. And before we can communicate him and his weightiness or his his realness, we, we of course, have to experience him. We have to see him. So um, as I've been thinking about this, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, I've, I've uh, and of course, you know, John Piper is such a great author in, mm. in helping me to think about this whole issue of glorifying God. Um, I, I've thought in terms of, you know, to glorify him means first I must see him, that he is real, that he is infinitely good, and that he is infinitely great. And then that I respond in my life in view of, of that, uh, that vision of who God is. So I respond by enjoying him, worship. And I respond by communicating him to others, that I want others to see that he also is infinitely good and infinitely great. So if we connect that idea of glorifying God, of, of seeing him and responding in view of that vision, that clear vision that God provides to us about himself, when he says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, how does that connect us to this purpose, or, or how does it keep us from missing the purpose that God has given us to glorify him? Well, I think it goes to that first part of what you're saying then, right? If, if I'm understanding your question correctly, if we have, if, if we don't have other gods before him, that means we're seeing him rightly. Is that kind of what you're getting at? I think we're, so, we're right. To understand his other value. gods rob us of a vision of who God really is, yeah. that, that the true God is not real, he's not true, and that he's not ultimately great. There's some, some other God greater or some other God uh, better, filled with more goodness that we, we would want to attach our life to. Yeah, I think the reason that we would even be tempted to worship a false god or a a, a god outside of the true and living God is because of what that god could do for us. Yes. And so to do that is to forget that God is the only giver of good and perfect gifts. And so uh, we're robbing God of the uh, attribution of the source of our good and Mm -hmm. our uh, all that we need for life and godliness. Yeah. And so, oh, so, so let me t- to clarify. So what are you saying is the violation of the first commandment there? Is t- it's to see another God that can maybe give us what we think we want instead? To is pursue it, our good from 
other sources. Mm. Yeah. yeah, We see that right away when sin entered the world. Well, first we see it with, with Satan when sin truly entered creation. He says, I want to be like God. And so he replaced the true God, who is infinitely good and glorious, for himself. And he says, I want that glory, and I'm going to pursue that. And he became a, a creature of self-worship. And then he passed that on in his temptation to say, hey, if, if you ate this fruit, this fruit would give you things that God's unwilling to give you, right. that you would make you a better person and secure a better future. And of course, that was the, the nature of the temptation. It r- related to this first commandment. They decided that they would have another God other than the one God, that they would think of another God as providing them with something with, with uh, greater goodness or greater greatness than the true and living God could. Right. And then you, you follow that with Cain and Abel, and you follow that with these other stories all through Scripture of idolatry that kept people from connecting to the truth that God is real and he's good and great and then communicating that to others. So, so, that, so some of those are just clear violations of the first commandment. You know, God says, don't, don't do this, they do it. Mm-hmm. Because, because as, as Art and you both said, they they believe they can receive this joy, this satisfaction from some source besides God. I would I would contend. I think you guys, I know you guys would agree with me that there are ways that we violate the first commandment in the evangelical church unknowingly. What are some of those ways? Maybe. Yeah, uh, that's that's a great question. And I, I think you know, as those who are listening in, to really consider this for our own personal lives because. Mm-hmm. This is not sort of a exercise in theory. Right. <laughs> Each one of us. And I think Art, you you started off uh, with your first comment of of that uh, we are constantly creating idols mm-hmm. for ourselves to move toward, um, and that's the nature of our flesh. It's the nature of our heart. I think you know, John Calvin he said our our heart is an an idol factory. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just just manufacturing idol after idol. Um, and so this question is understanding well what idols are most tempting for me. Because it's what's interesting is you can see how other people's idols, they look foolish. <laughs> you know, it looks foolish that Adam and Eve would want a piece of fruit. Um, it looked oh, more than God. It looks foolish that, um, you know, the, the people of Israel, God's people, would be tempted to create a golden calf or uh, worship around an Asherah pole. But um, other, other false gods that others enjoy often seem foolish to us, but there there are false gods that are very alluring to each one of us. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of getting into the second... Is it Help us understand a little bit the distinction between the first commandment and the second, because yeah. now we're kind of talking more about yeah. the second commandment, right? Yes, and maybe the golden calf, there's some, there's some question about whether they were really wanting to worship Yahweh through that golden calf, right. which would have been a wrong methodology, that God cares how we worship. Mm. Uh, uh, or whether or not they were actually setting up and establishing another God, mm-hmm. you know, which ultimately separate. Whenever them. you begin to redefine God, even if you that, right, it twists who God is. The, right, those are exactly. the two very related That's commandments. Exactly right. right. You can't hardly separate them very easily, but yes. So in that, in so in the first commandment, as, as we've talked about the violation of it, I, I think even as we as we think about what our what's going to determine. Why, our motivation for why we do what we do and mm-hmm. what our purpose in life is. You mentioned the Westminster Confession of Faith. I think one of the ways that the the church today uh, sometimes violates this first commandment is we 
it's become very man centered, not mm-hmm. only in our, not only in our our worship, but in our our methodology, where we say, okay, the the end of what we are trying to accomplish here is about something else besides who God is in His character, which right, I, right, I think right. is a violation of the first commandment. Yeah. Absolutely, and and it 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 goes to comments that we often might may find ourselves saying after worship service, mm-hmm. like uh, that. That those songs really made me feel really great, or uplift my spirit, uplifted, or uh, as opposed to well, those those songs really sh- revealed that God is real and He's great and He's good, and so right away there's a subtle shift of who are we trying to please right. in the midst of our worship? Are we looking for self worship or truly the glory of God in all of this? Right, and that's probably the same. Uh, tendency that causes us to want to uh, worship an aspect of God without his, the full orb of his character and his attributes impressing upon the circumstances like, you know, the, the caricature of God only being love. And, and so therefore we forget his holiness, yeah. his, his justice, and, mm. and we can be guilty of um, focusing on one area of God at the expense of others, and that would... Yeah. And the, the the application of the first commandment is so expansive. It really suggests every kind of temptation at the root is that we are violating the first commandment. And this is so. That's, that's right. why this commandment is so practical. So we have uh, a, a couple who have difficulty in their marriage. Well, somewhere there's idolatry. That is mm. the foundation of this conflict. There's conflict in the church between two believers. Well, somewhere there's idolatry, mm-hmm. and that is the root. And so we want to constantly be looking, well, what's where is the idolatry, and am I participating in it, um, whether it's in conflict and certainly when we find ourselves giving into sin. You know, the various sins that are particularly troubling and and plaguing in, in our, in our uh, sort of sexually immoral culture, and we're going to talk about... Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery later, but but the sins of of pornography, um, the sins of of sexual immorality, um, sins of also of greed, of of desire for things that very very common in our culture. They're, they're, they're rooted here in the first commandment. So, what would you guys? And I think Rich, you've already touched on this. How how would you see the distinction then between the first and the second commandment? What is the second commandment? Yeah, well, let's talk about that second commandment a little bit more. So I would see the distinction being that the first commandment relates to who we worship or or what we worship. We got to worship and focus our uh, our our value, our purpose, our meaning in the true God, or we're going to try and find meaning and purpose in some other God. And God says, "Don't try to find meaning or purpose. I love you. You do that, and you'll waste your life. You'll mm-hmm. you'll you'll lose your life." Mm-hmm. And the second then is saying, "And make sure when you do." set me as the focus of your worship, that you worship me in a way that truly honors me. Spirit and truth. Because right. if if you worship me, but worship me in a way that dishonors who I really am, then uh, you also have missed your purpose, because then you're not able to connect with me either. I am a jealous God, and I'm jealous who you worship, and I'm also jealous regarding how you worship me. So mm-hmm. that's why he says... Don't make for yourself any carved image. So we might ask the question, you know, uh, well, what what applications uh, might we make that that we may be concerned? Uh, many, you know, again, even evangelical believers fall into regarding worshiping God through graven images or carved images. 
So I, I think of, of a couple passages as I, as I think about this, this uh, object of, of worship and, and how we're supposed to worship, of course. Uh, one would be in, uh, in Deuteronomy, in uh, Deuteronomy 4, as, as he talks about why idolatry is forbidden. He, he, he talks about how you, know, you came to Mount Horeb and uh, the Lord commanded me to, to teach you these things. And he says, uh, you came near, you stood near the mountain, uh, the mountain burned with fire. The Lord spoke to you. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. And then he says in verse 15, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure. And then he begins to describe why, why that is. And he says, or, or what that looks like. He says, um, uh, don't don't allow yourself to to take an invisible God and create visible forms and be, and the, the way I interpret this is be motivated to worship. Even if you're calling this thing that you're worshiping Yahweh, don't be motivated to worship Yahweh by looking at some things that aren't God and being motivated to worship him through those things. Why are we tempted to do that even? Why, why would we be so tempted to say, I want an image in front of me of the invisible God that helped me connect to him? I think maybe we get overwhelmed at... Uh, um, something uh, when we can't define something. And so we want to try to define God more in a way that we can understand him. Mm-hmm. And and in doing that, it diminishes the fear of the Lord because, you know what, we can't contain him. Contain him. And why would God be upset with that? If we're, if we're trying to create the, the best image we possibly can of God to use in worship, why would God be so upset by that? Well, I would answer and say we're fallen and we're going to get it wrong. We're not. We're not going to uh, come close to His glory. Yeah, it's, it's not Him. You know, it's, it's not. It's not Him. God could have given us a graven image. Right. <laughs> he, could, he could have set uh, instructions before Moses, but He says, "There's nothing in my creation that can reflect Me in the glory of uh, myself as a Creator." Right. So, what are some ways that we may see? people, or we'll say even evangelical Christians, being drawn into using uh, carved images to worship? Well, yeah, so the, the, the big principle, obviously, is, is don't worship something that's, that's not God and call it God. I think in our worship, we, we, can, uh, we, we can be moved to, uh, again, we talked about what glorify is, you know, the idea of worship being to bestow value upon something. So we can be moved to bestow value on something that's not God through our singing even. So, for example, the we say, well, I can't worship unless it's a certain beat or the music does a certain thing or certain instruments are played. And I would even say it's something that's concerned me, and, and maybe you guys would, would not feel this way. But um, one thing that's concerned me is sometimes people say, well, you know, whenever I'm looking at a PowerPoint presentation and I see – a nature scene, or I see some sort of imagery that helps me worship too. So they're not talking about the character of God being the means by which they're motivated to worship, but they're when a, when a person is motivated to worship on this on the basis of something other than who God is and responding to who He is in His character, that's where I think we begin to violate the second commandment. Yeah, this is really uh, key. I, the, of of all the commandments, this is the one that has excited the most kind of discussion when I've talked about it with individuals. Hmm. Because many people have in their homes or in churches even, um, uh, maybe it's a picture of Jesus, it might be a, um, something they look at and say, I like to look at this picture while I pray to God. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or even creating an image in their head that they use right. as a means of worship. What would you say, is that a violation of this second commandment when someone uses an image to pray or to worship um, God? I, w- I would say, yeah, don't do it um, yeah. because you're limiting. Um, and, and I, I agree. And I even go further, you know, and, and again, there, this is, there, there's some, uh, there, I think there's room for disagreement here because the, the question is what's motivating the, the worship, what's, what's causing it. And I, I even have concerns whenever a church does like stations of the cross or, or things like that. And they look at a, they look at a cross and begin to pray, or they look at a, a picture of, of Jesus crushed and begin to pray. Now, if a person is is just looking at a picture to help them understand the truths of Scripture about what happened to Jesus, then, you know, I, I've talked with people who are more artistic than I, and I can understand, they say, well, you know, I'm understanding the truths of the text as I look at this picture, and then I'm, yeah. and, and you know what, I'm not comfortable with that, but I, I wouldn't say a person is necessarily violating yeah. the second commandment yeah. there. No, go ahead. Yeah, and so what I would what I would caution a person with is is um, using images to con- to to be means of of causing worship. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, in our uh, in our uh, church, we have a mural that goes from Genesis to Revelation, mm-hmm. and we intentionally tried to any portrayals of God to be very yeah. careful with those because we don't want kids or adults to think of that picture when they worship. It's very instructional, and, and God gives us images uh, about himself, like in Revelation, describe his power, for instance, or um And yet no visual wisdom. representations in terms of a picture. Right. We don't have a picture Bible. That's that's exactly right. And and so, uh, yeah, I, I think you know the, there's a difference between a picture that teaches and a picture that is used to worship or pray mm-hmm. as a medium. Somehow mm-hmm. this picture is a medium. And in our church, for instance, we have a cross in our window. And I have talked to people actually say, that cross helps me to worship. And then I say, oh, don't do that. Right. <laughs> because even the cross in itself is not a medium. It's right. not a medium. The medium is Jesus, who's invisible, mm. uh, through the Spirit, who's invisible <laughs> to invisible God. If the cross so reminds us the center of the gospel, which is why we have it in there, is reminds hey, we constantly come to the cross in our life every day as the expression of God's love for us and his redemption, then I think symbols are are not a violation when they teach us. But the moment we, we transfer them from a teaching um, uh, medium to a worship or prayer medium as mm-hmm. somehow connecting us to God, that's where we're, we're in violation of the second commandment, which is very serious. Well, thanks for joining us at uh, Revive the Tribe. We continue uh, thinking about the Ten Commandments through this series. God bless you.